views, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. <clears throat> Let's talk about the politics of this first, and then we're going to get into the reality of how it is for people. In American politics, there are a couple of things. When a president is running for re-election, really anybody, but especially a chief executive, whether a governor of Arizona or the president of the United States or you know a governor of any state, is promises made, promises kept when they're running for re-election. I promised you this. I came through with my promises and how those promises then affected the people. So that's one of the things that the president of the United States will do is talk about promises made, promises kept leading up to a re-election if he decides to run. The other thing is the question is asked by the opponent of that president or governor. If you think you're better off now than you were four years ago, then vote for that person. If you don't think you're better off, if you're worse off than you were four years ago, we're going to give you a different path forward. This is where this is an issue. The highest number of Americans in four decades say they are financially worse off during this presidency. The poll released Sunday found that four in 10 Americans say their financial situation has gotten worse since Joe Biden took office, which is the most in ABC News, Washington Post polls dating back 37 years. So almost 40 years. So, um... The uh, prior to Biden taking office, the ABC Washington polls started asking the question in 1986. Just 16 percent of those polled then said they were better off. On, uh, only 16 percent said they're better off under the president. Under former President Trump during the same time period in his term, just 13 percent had said they had gotten worse and 25 percent they were financially doing better. Um, th- so that's the politics of it. The politics of it is that this president is going to be giving a State of the Union address tomorrow, and he will highlight jobs created under his administration. But this they will stay away from. The American people, and this is this is what transcends the political part of this. Most people, most people are not politically driven in this sense. They have political opinions. They do vote. But they don't in their mind sit around and say, oh, those darn Democrats or all oh, those hateful Republicans. They look at people. And they look at results. When we talk about America voting with its wallet, um, these are the kinds of things that people look at. Again, I was a very young boy when Jimmy Carter was president, but I remember, you know, growing up as I've said before, my uncles were teamsters. I, you know, I grew around, grew up around working class Democrats, and I didn't know what a Democrat was when I was a kid. But those were the people that I grew up around. And when Jimmy Carter was running for office, uh, people in my family liked what he had to say. I actually got invited to Jimmy Carter's inauguration as a nine-year-old. Um, by the time that presidency was over, my family. Family were not a big fan. As a matter of fact, I grew up with a lot of cousins, and all of us, uh, uh, I have a few cousins that have passed away, but the ones that are still alive, we keep in touch. And out of all of the cousins, with the exception of one, all became conservative Republicans. That's where they gravitated to, just based on the, the moral compass and what they wanted for the government staying out of their lives. Um, that's what... That's how they all we didn't live together anymore. I was I moved to Florida. Then I moved to Arizona. They're scattered all over northeast Ohio. And yet that's kind of the migration politically for them. I don't know what it says, but we have one. I have one cousin, my cousin David, who is a staunch Democrat. And even he recently said, I can't believe I voted for this guy. Now, anecdotally, I don't know what that means politically, but I do know this. The American people 
just want to feel as if they're better off and their future is bright. Everybody understands there are hard times that happen. When you um, – sometimes it's the not knowing, whether it's a, a medical diagnosis. Once you're told what the diagnosis is, now the reality's there and now you can deal with everything moving forward. It's the not knowing that people don't understand or that don't, you know, they have a hard time with. And in this case – People don't mind when we see hard times. The unknown of COVID-19 scared everyone. It was a really scary time because nobody knew what was going to be next. The days after 9-11 was scary because we didn't know what was going to be next. But once we were pretty clear on what happened that day on 9-11 and that we, were, we weren't going to see more and more of this um, in the immediate future, although other things may have been planned – we then began to rebuild. If you remember from the days at Ground Zero where it went from a, a uh, recovery, it turned into a recovery mission as opposed to a rescue mission. And the hard and, and horrible work of recovering people from that rubble. And then we looked forward to rebuilding. And when we knew that better days were coming, you look now at what we look back on 9-11 and we sometimes you talk about it. My my friend McAvoy said it best. It was the worst of humanity that was met by the best of humanity. And we're looking at an economy now where people don't know what's happening next. The Fed continues to raise interest rates. Um, the job market has been strong and everybody says it's surprisingly strong. But thank God that people still have jobs. But when you've got so many people, what is it, 41 percent, we just heard in the newscast, 41 percent of people are saying they are worse off under this president. That is a scary place to be. The economic policies of this White House, I think, are are horrible for America. I mean, I, again, you know where I stand politically, so of course I'm going to say that, but it's it, it's coming true that Jimmy Carter was a wonderful, is a wonderful human being. By most accounts, it doesn't matter what political party you're from, um, Jimmy Carter is seen as a humanitarian and a very good man. His policy decisions when it came to energy and the economy train wrecked the American economy. How familiar does that sound? Joe Biden in the minds of many people, may be a good human being, but his policies are disastrous for the American economy. This focus on climate change and that everything revolves around that and the burden of that expense of, of switching this economy to something that is going to be more environmentally friendly. The cost of that is falling squarely on the back of working Americans. And there is no there's no two ways about that. That's what's happening. And I think the American people are pushing back. What we're going to do in a moment is an interesting story. There are a bunch of conservatives who are scheduled to speak at ASU, at Gamage Auditorium. Faculty members are saying they shouldn't be allowed to. I thought that college campuses were supposed to be a place for debate. They call it hate speech. I'll give you details of what might happen with this next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for spending some time with the show. Coming up, bottom of the hour, Nicole Corey is going to join us. She is the executive director and co-founder of Natural Restorations, partnering with the NFL to help veterans. We're going to talk about that program, what they are doing for veterans. should be very interesting in conjunction with the Super Bowl. So we'll get to that coming up in just about 20 minutes from right now, 15 minutes or so. Uh, ASU Barrett faculty condemns upcoming speaker 
Walter's planned engagement. This is from the Capital Times. I find this fascinating. Uh, more than 35 of 46 faculty members at Arizona State University's Barrett, the Honors uh, College, signed a letter condemning upcoming speaking engagement. Uh, Dennis Prager is going to be there. Charlie Kirk from Turning Point. Uh, 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 Robert Kiyosaki, the writer of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and a cardiologist are all scheduled to speak at this forum. Now, it is interesting that it's the T.W. Lewis Center for Personal Development. I want to read a little bit from the dean of this school. As a public university, ASU is committed to free, robust, and uninhibited sharing of ideas among all members of the university's community. The university values and adheres to the First Amendment. I find this interesting because these are considered to be, Charlie Kirk, many of you heard of him with Turning Point, are considered to be right-wing ideologies. Uh, Prager U with Dennis Prager and um, you got Robert Kiyosaki talking about rich dad, poor dad and wealth. You've got a cardiologist I'm guessing is going to speak about vaccines. I don't know. But isn't it interesting that the very same people that condemn taking sexualized books out of elementary school libraries, calling it silencing and book burning and it goes back to Nazism and and all of fascism, they don't want young adults to listen to this. To me, I thought a college was supposed to be where young adults um, form their adulthood ideas that as we're all, you know, we all have opinionated uh, teenagers. I knew everything when I was a teenager. I knew everything as a teenager. Um, So (laughs) sorry about that. Um, We had a little mic issue. So uh, when I was a young teenager, I knew everything. My mother got smarter as I got older into the real world. There is a transition period when you're growing up as a kid, you get into high school, you start forming opinions with adult. I would say with adult situations or adult circumstances from a juvenile mind and you mature as you get older. And those formative years when you leave school and you enter the workforce, whether it's at 18 like I I did, or it's at 22, like many others do, or though others that go even longer on to graduate school. You're forming your political ideologies. You're forming your moral compass. Isn't this the time in a college campus where we are supposed to be exchanging ideas? You know, and I wonder, I just wonder how many people on the opposite side of the political spectrum that have radical ideas in the minds of some on the right, that those are perfectly acceptable. This is where when we talk about the phrase hate speech. This is the part of it that really gets me because hateful to who? Hateful to who? Um, There is a story written about the U.N. wants to force churches to um, adhere to the LGBTQ model of things. Well, if it goes against your religion, if it's not what you believe, you have a right to believe that. We all have a right to believe what we want. As a matter of fact, I would say this. The LGBTQ community uh, rightfully said you you can't have your religious beliefs control how we live our lives. And they were right. They were absolutely right in that. But that pendulum has swung so far in the other direction. Now the LGBTQ, not not gay people in general, I'm talking about the activists politically, want to now force the churches to condone what they're saying and doing. It swung the other way. This is interesting to me because you have someone, let's be very honest, Charlie Kirk, we know who he is, very, very conservative guy, very, very um, in your face sometimes with what he believes. And I don't mean in a bad way. I mean he is he is unabashedly uh, believes what he believes and is out there saying it and he's always open for a debate. 
When left-wing activists do that, they're embraced. Their ideas must be embraced. When you go to academia, the left – and not every class, not every professor, not everything, but but in largely on college campuses, they want to shout down and shut down any idea of a conservative thought. And that isn't what it's supposed to be about. De- defeat the argument in front of them. Don't silence them from speaking, especially to young adults. If a young adult – and ASU wants to go to Gamage Auditorium and hear these people speak, what is wrong with that? And if your answer is it's hate speech, let them hear the hate speech. I'll be honest with you. When I have somebody that I don't like what they say, I think what they're saying is crazy or outlandish or outrageous. I want them to talk. They're invited on this show. Because they're going to say what they're going to say, and you're going to hear it and decide for yourself. Young adults at ASU, especially if they're in these honors programs, are smart enough to decipher what is good information from bad. And if you go into a room and you listen to people speak and they're making fools of themselves in your mind, then that's what you're going to leave there with. Are you afraid they're going to make a point that is hard for you to wrestle with? Uh, this is and it doesn't matter what it is. It, it is difficult for me to think about what happens on a college campus that they are afraid to allow a voice they don't agree with on their campus. I don't care how outrageous it is. You go and look at some of the professors that have been hired by universities across this country. You go and look at some of the people that have backgrounds that are outrageous. I mean, there have been convicted murderers that have been college professors on campuses that espouse political views that are completely against anything that has to do with authority. And yet they maintain being professors and those messages are allowed on college campuses. What's wrong with these voices? If you disagree with them, you're entitled to disagree with them. But you shouldn't be able to silence them on a college campus, especially in a forum that was specifically designed for diversity of opinions. And they're trying to shut it down. Now, I'm not talking about students and protesters. I'm talking about faculty, faculty shutting down opinions. It's it's amazing to me that this is happening under our noses. This should be something that all of us look at and say, let them speak. Let them speak. If you think that they're ignorant, let them show their ignorance. Then you can talk to the student body and say, is that really what you want to be a part of? Trying to silence people. Interesting. Interesting. They, they are mad at parents who don't want sexualized books in their children's school library at the elementary, middle, and high school level, but college students shouldn't be exposed to this. Pretty amazing, isn't it? In a moment, Nicole Corey joins me. She's the executive director and co-founder of Natural Restorations, working with the NFL, her organization, helping veterans in Arizona. Everything you need to know. Next. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. <clears throat> A question was asked about the Super Bowl being here in town that at, next to the financial windfall, um, really, what is Arizona gaining from the Super Bowl being in Arizona? And there have been so many different connections where the NFL coming to the Super Bowl here in Arizona have brought with it the, uh, the notoriety. 
uh, that the NFL brings and dollars and power behind that. And so joining us right now is the executive director and co-founder of Natural Restorations. Her name is Nicole Corey. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you having me. Um, Can you please tell us, first of all, what does your organization do uh, year-round? Our organization is an Arizona-based nonprofit. We're a 501c3, and we go all over the state of Arizona, removing trash and graffiti from outdoor recreation and wilderness areas. And we also revitalize natural areas through replanting projects. And we do that by hosting volunteer events, and we also contract military veterans to help us with our dedicated restoration team projects. That's pretty amazing. And now the NFL has jumped in because the Super Bowl is here. And what have they what have they done with your organization? What have you guys accomplished and what are you accomplishing? Well, something really exciting is on January 21st, we teamed up with the NFL, the Arizona Super Bowl host committee, Odyssey Aquarium, the United States Forest Service, Tonto National Forest, Forest Blue, Phoenix Zoo, Scottsdale Community College, Arizona Cardinals, and Verizon. And we helped kick off NFL Green Week by hosting a community cleanup at the Lower Salt River and an apple snail removal. And it was the largest community volunteer cleanup event ever implemented by NFL Green. So it was really exciting to be a part of it. We had 401 volunteers help us remove 7,849 pounds of trash, as well as 434 uh, invasive adult apple snails and 320 egg clusters from the invasive apple snails. Wow, that is it's incredible because uh, you know the, usually the conversation of environmentalism turns political, and it never should be. The idea of having a pristine, clean Arizona, the state we love so much, is something that should be near and dear to everybody's heart like it is to yours and to mine. This is an amazing project and really the NFL bringing the power of its notoriety had to help that in a lot in a big way, right? Absolutely. It helps shine a spotlight on the Lower Salt River. The Lower Salt River provides water. It's the life force for the Phoenix Valley and the mm-hmm. surrounding areas. And getting trash out of the water helps not only the wildlife and the ecosystem, but it makes it better for anybody, including visitors that want to go and enjoy the Salt River, see the Salt River wild horses. And then we have the apple snails. The apple snails are an invasive species that are taking over the Lower Salt River. They're taking food away from the native wildlife. Um, It's really changing the ecosystem down there. So to get those out of the river and have a spotlight shine on that is huge for this area. Nicole Corey is joining us. She's the executive director and co-founder of Natural Restorations. Can you explain a little bit about what you're doing with military veterans and how the NFL has been involved in some of that? Sure. Well, in uh, the inception of Natural Restorations, my husband and I were talking about what we could do to help with the trash and graffiti removal problem across Arizona. And around the same time, my husband, Justin's best friend from high school, Derek, had come back from serving several tours in the U.S. uh, Army overseas in the Middle East. And when he returned, he came back with traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. And one weekend, uh, Derek's dad asked my husband, please take him out camping, just get him out of the valley because he's having a hard time. And so they went camping, did some target shooting. And when they started picking up the trash from um, picking up all of their shells and their targets, their dads taught them to pick up after Mm -hmm. themselves. And so they did a little mini cleanup. 
And about 15 minutes into it, Derek looked over at Justin and said, is this what you're thinking about doing? And Justin said, basically, yes. And Derek said, I want in. I've stopped thinking about all the things I'm trying to numb myself from, and I'm just focused on picking up trash and making things better. And so that day, Justin came home to me and said, new direction for natural restorations. We are going to bring military veterans into this. We are going to provide opportunities for them to be out in nature with fellow veterans and just experience the therapy that nature provides and being around people who have gone through similar situations as you. And so in 2017, we started our very first dedicated restoration team project and today started our 123rd dedicated restoration team project. And we've provided 15,271 hours of work in nature to the veterans on our team. We're extremely proud of that. That is, that's remarkable. If, if people would like to learn more about your organization, whether they want to get involved one way or another, where can they find you? How can they learn more? They can learn more on our website. It's naturalrestorations with an S on the end dot org. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and everything donated towards our organization goes to trash removal, graffiti removal, replanting. Uh, we're replanting the 2020 bushfire burn scar that burned over almost 200,000 acres and over 80,000 saguaros. And our team digs up saguaros and other native desert cacti out of the ground by hand from construction sites where they would get bulldozed. And we replant them in the bushfire burn scar out at Four Peaks where they're desperately needed to keep that Sonoran ecosystem. That's great stuff. I hope people reach out and learn more about you. And thanks for the great work you're doing. And we hope to talk to you again. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. All right. Thanks. That is Nicole Corey, executive director of and co-founder of Natural Restorations. Cool organization doing some cool things for the environment, but also involving veterans, getting them outdoors, surrounded by other veterans. It, I, I just think there's a lot there that can be done uh, in helping the community as a whole. So it's pretty cool. Just a different approach. Coming up in a moment, what we're going to talk about is New York City Mayor Adams spends the coldest night of the year in a shelter after migrants refuse to leave a hotel and go to that shelter what he found out and more information on the border next strong values and strong opinions the mike broomhead show ktar news 92.3 fm and the ktar news app Quick update on what's happening on the U.S. border. Again, thanks for being here. Happy Monday. Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, spends the coldest winter night in a shelter after migrants refuse to leave the hotel. So he slept in this. This has become a big news story because uh, if you heard, I think it was about 50 um, men that were in the, are in the country illegally, but they're applying for asylum. But these are the migrants that have come to the U.S. They were being put up in a hotel with other people until a shelter was ready. And in order to make room for incoming families, they ask the single men to leave and go to a shelter. They stomped their feet, they kicked and threw a temper tantrum and went and laid in the street because they didn't want to leave the hotel. Well, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, slept in the shelter. Uh, spent the coldest night of the year at a Brooklyn cruise terminal with homeless hero and advocate Shams DeBaron, uh, Adams posted a, that on Twitter, said, our brothers are being kept warm, and the team working here is giving new meaning to the words, love thy neighbor. So uh, the mayor of New York is saying they're treating people very well that are in this country. This is a bad look uh, for people that are advocates for uh, the immigration system as it is. Um, but here is a number that should really stand out to people. 
Nearly 600,000 migrants who crossed the border since March, less than a year, since March of, I'm sorry, less than two years, since 2021, were released in the U.S. with no immigration court date. 600,000 people that have crossed our border have been released into the U.S. without being given an immigration court date. Um, Florida legislators considering expanding DeSantis's migrant flight program as another headline. And uh, uh, more Russian migrants enter the U.S. as exceptions for the asylum seekers expanded. More Russian migrants are traveling through Mexico to seek asylum in the U.S., driven in part by expanding the U.S. government's effort to allow more asylum seekers to cross the border legally. About 12,500 Russians entered the U.S. through ports of entry with Mexico between October and the start of the government budget year in December. Most are expected to ask for asylum once they settle in the U.S., often citing government crackdown since the start of the war with Ukraine. Now, I will tell you that I have friends here from Russia, and I haven't talked with them on how they feel about this. But one of the stories that was told to me by my friend Ariel is that they were given an opportunity. They waited, and they came to America like they were you know, by following the rules. They were given an opportunity to um, immigrate to another country that was not the U.S. And they waited a little longer. I don't, and I don't remember how much longer, but waited so that they could finally travel to the U.S. and become Americans. Now you've got people coming a different way. This is where I think the American people get frustrated. I, I've talked about this so much that we call everybody a migrant. Not everybody is a migrant. There is a difference between illegal immigration and legal immigration. It is not to denigrate. It is not to insult people that are doing it the wrong way. But you can't make them the same. There are people that have respected U.S. laws that have been in the same kind of uh, terrible conditions that others have been in that have waited and done it the right way. They should be held separately from the people that did it the wrong way. That's all. I'm not asking people we've branded with a scarlet letter. I don't think the Americans are. But we must always hold in the highest regard the people that have made the sacrifice they have to come to America, leave family behind, and start over to give their family a new trajectory in life to become Americans. It's our story. It's who we are. If you have a family member... In, you know, in your lifetime, if you have had a family member that was the first one to come here and you were born here, you know when your grandparents or your great-grandparents came to this country. You've heard the story. You've been told because it is still the history of your family and how it changes its trajectory by coming to the United States. We have a failing system that is not getting better, and people are frustrated. I don't know if or how the president will address this in the State of the Union, but I'm not quite sure how you can ignore it. I don't know if they're going to try to shine a light on how their new policy has slowed things down. I don't know what they're going to say, but this is one of the bigger issues to people in the country because you're seeing places not in Yuma, not in uh, Del Rio, Texas, New York City saying we are overwhelmed with the migrant crisis and imploring the administration to do something about it. We should always, and I think we always will, as Americans, welcome immigrants. We should. Just not this way. More examples. 600,000 people in less than two years turned loose in America without a court date. We are creating the next generation of dreamers. We have created 
and underclass in America. This is not the way to do this. This is not an orderly way of doing it. We should have control, as Senator Sinema has said, we should have control of who we invite and who we don't invite into this country. And we don't. The cartels are now controlling that. And that should concern all of us. We've got now some tension with China. We know the tension with Putin, who hates us. Um, the, the Iranians hate us. And yet we have a porous border to the south where who knows who's coming in and what their intentions are. The FBI has been tasked since 9-11 with uh, stopping domestic terrorism. And wh- what role does this play in that? What role does the open border play in the FBI doing its job? Because that's a federal agency, but they're not a border security agency. That's ICE. You know, that's CBP. Homeland Security oversees all of that. But is this making it more difficult for the FBI to do their job because you just don't know who's coming and where they are and what their intentions are? It's something that should concern every single one of us. And um, we're going to continue to talk about it because we live in a border state. And I just think it's a frustration to many people. And this is one of those political issues that transcends political lines, that people look at this and say, you know, this isn't about – Right and left, this is about right and wrong, and we must do something to control the border. And I think one of the steps we have to take is making sure that people that came to this country legally are honored for that and that they did it the right way. They are the migrants into this country, and they should be held up like that. We shouldn't be lumping everyone together. It gives some people a bad taste in their mouth, a bad sense of immigration to this country, and it shouldn't be that way. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, the founder of the Black Lives Matter movement is now being very, very critical of the Biden administration for refusing to defund the police. So we're going to talk about that because crime is on the rise. People are taking the law into their own hands. And one of the questions being asked is how does the short staff Phoenix Police Department patrol the Super Bowl experience and the crowds down there? How can they possibly do that and police the entire city? We are looking at this. We're going to talk about crime and punishment. We'll talk about policing as we always do coming up in a few moments.